is the members are watching these two guys, and it goes on. And this is the verse from the scripture today that just astounded me, and it just caught my eyes, and I couldn't let go, because the members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And it strikes me as, as interesting and is a little bit odd because when we think of Peter and John, I mean, they're disciples. They're apostles. You know, Peter now has given three great sermons in the first four chapters of Acts alone that converted hundreds and thousands of people in one go. I mean, they're Peter and John. You know, they're going to write books in, that are part of our New Testament that change the world, Peter and John. But when the Pharisees look at them, they just see ordinary men. I know them. They're just ordinary. No special training in the scriptures. They're just men who have been with Jesus. So what happened? How do we go from ordinary men to this? Peter, preaching without fear, boldness in front of the Pharisees. Something's happened. You know, Peter and John started out as just fishermen. And Jesus called them, and all of a sudden their lives are changed. And there's a lot of examples that have already been mentioned this morning that, you know, if we look, um, Judges chapter 6, just flipping really quickly, or I'll just read them to you. We have Gideon. Gideon in the land is in trouble with the Midianites, and, and an angel comes to Gideon and says, you have to change this, you need to help. And Gideon goes, Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. And the Lord said to him, I will be with you, and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. The weakest. God didn't pick the strongest in the clan. He picked the weakest to start off with. And Gideon does go on to, to conquer the Midianites. You know, not because he had the biggest army. God put it down to 300 men, you know, but 300 men who believed. 300 men who were willing to follow wherever God wanted them to go. And David, when, um, when Samuel, the prophet, went to the house of Jesse, and God had told him he was going to crown the next king there. You know, he told Jesse, line up your sons. So he lined up seven of his sons in a row. And uh, Samuel's like, wow, he's got to be here. Look at these guys. They're just amazing guys. And in the verse that they read in the opening where the Lord tells Samuel in, in verse 16, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected them. The Lord doesn't see the way that you see them. People judge by the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And down the road, God tells him, this is not him, this is not him, until he's out of sons. So he looks to Jesse, do you have another son? I'm supposed to find the king here, and he's not here. And Jesse goes, well, there's one out watching the goats. <laughs> Should I bring him in? And he goes, yes, bring him in. And so then comes the boy, probably dirty, out from sitting in the rocks or whatever, watching goats and sheep, and God says, this is him. And 17 chapters later, David becomes king. And all of these amazing things happen along the way because he heard the call and he believed the call and he followed the call. One little boy named David you know, one little whistling sling, and round and round, and Goliath came tumbling down. David, an ordinary boy, the least of these that God picks. We must always remember that the men in the Bible 
all of these stories were ordinary people. They weren't special until God called them. They weren't special until they listened what he had to say. We shouldn't be holding them on pedestals. Peter and John, oh, they're, they were special. No, they're just like us that God called. Which brings me to the next point, the next one with no special training in the scriptures. And this is an interesting thing because I think a lot of us are really worried that, you know, we're never going to know what to say because we haven't taken a class and, you know, we have the special come to Jesus week that's coming up, you know, and Pastor Dave's asked us to think of one or two people we can invite. And it's this scary thing because it's like, what are we supposed to say? You know, I haven't taken a class in evangelism. I haven't taken a class in witnessing. You know, it's just not comfortable for me. I don't have special training. I don't have the words, you know. And so we get a little nervous about it, and, you know, we're kind of wanting to do stuff, but we just don't feel like it's us. We're not really prepared. We have not been properly prepared in how to give Bible studies and how to talk. But that's what God does. In, um, back in those days, all the kids went to, to Bible school to start with, you know, until they reached age 12. All of them had to learn from the Torah and stuff, but usually after that, only special kids were allowed to continue. And then the very specialist kids were allowed to go to rabbinical school. But Peter and John, you know, and the other, their siblings who were fishermen, they had a trade. So as soon as they reached their mandatory years, they were out on a boat pulling fish. They didn't have time to go to Bible school. They didn't have time to learn the intricacies of the Torah and all of the things that they represented, mess messianic prophecy and stuff. And yet here, here's Peter quoting from the Old Testament. In all of his sermons, he's quoting, pulling from verses here and there as he redefines what the Messiah is. Because Jesus was not the Messiah they were expecting. They were expecting a conqueror, and Jesus died. And yet Peter's able, because of the gift that he's been given as the Holy Spirit fills him, to pull on things he never even realized he knew. And I think that's the power of it. And that's one of the reasons why I start off this sermon with this prayer where these are just words. Words on paper. Words that occurred to me, but they're nothing if God's not speaking through me. So for the past couple weeks, Pastor Dave has been asking you to pray for these one or two people, you know, that you're wanting to invite. But I'm saying for the next week or the next two weeks, you need to start praying for yourself. That God give you the words. That God take you to the place that you need to be in order to reach people. So it's not just about them. And there's a lot of people out there that do need to hear this good news that we have here. But if we are not in the right place, if we are not letting God fill us to give us words, we're not going to be the person who can reach them. We need to prepare our hearts so that when we're there and the moment is there, that God just speaks. And when we're given this opportunity, you know, Peter and John, any chance they got, you want to know why we're healing? This is why we're healing. It's Jesus. You want to know why I'm happy? Because I have this good news. You want to know what's different about me? Well, let me tell you. And you hear it. You hear when the question is there. And you hear when the opportunity comes for you to talk about things that you know. No special training required. Because the most powerful messages don't come from a homiletics class. They come from your personal experiences and things that you know to be true because you've lived it. You've had it change you. You've read the story and realized how it applies to you now. It's things that you 
know to be true. Yes, here in this church, sometimes we'll talk and we'll give you some things to think about, but also in your personal study, when you are seeking God and when you find God, those encounters are what your special training is. That's your special training. That is what makes you unique because your message is slightly different than a sermon we're going to give up from here because it's your life. So you can't speak with words that we give you. We can't write something out for you to say that'll make people understand, you know. There's no magical formula that'll have them come to church with you. It's your words, but God speaking through you. No special training. But I think my favorite is that last one. And um, in the NIV, it says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But um, in the New Living Translation that I like, it says uh, they've also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. And it's like, that's, that's what it is, isn't it? These men who are speaking with boldness now and quoting scriptures left and right, they've been with Jesus. You can see it in their eyes. You can hear it in their voice. They're not the same men anymore. They're not the fishermen that they were a few chapters ago, and they're not the scared people who ran away or Peter who had denied Christ. Only a few chapters before this. It didn't happen that long ago. You know? What made the difference? Jesus. Jesus living and Jesus dying and Jesus rising again, and they know it to be true. They don't have any doubt because they were there. They had been with Jesus, and that was the thing that made them different. They're no longer ordinary. They've had their special training by being with Jesus. But that, don't you see that we are Peter and John? Any one of you can be Peter and John. Anytime you speak with boldness about what you know and you let God use you, you are one of those disciples. But it is important and it is fundamental for them to be able to see that you have been with Jesus. So how do we do that? I mean, Peter and John literally got to spend time with Jesus. I mean, they walked around with him, and they got to ask him questions. But most of the time Jesus was here on his ministry, they really just didn't get it. They were expecting Jesus to conquer and for them to get to sit next to him and be great, you know. And they misunderstood the parables. They didn't really understand what was going on. You know, they didn't really get it until Jesus came back. So how are we supposed to get it if they couldn't get it most of the time? And that's why we have this Bible, this book, with all the stories written down, with all of the parables and all of the explanations, and these people who finally get it trying to help us understand. Yes, they were with Jesus. They walked around with him, but we can be with Jesus too. If we're looking, if we're following. You know, one of these words I think is becoming a little less meaningful is when we say, I'm a Christian, most of the world's going to go, oh, you're a Christian. It's this weird thing, you know. They've encountered Christians who, who aren't really Christians. You know, Christians mean someone like Christ. And if you're not a Christian, you shouldn't be calling yourself that. But it's just a title now. It's just someone who goes to church. You know, someone who affiliates themselves with a denomination makes you a Christian. But it's so much more than that. Are you just a Christian? Or are you a follower of Christ? Are you following him? Are you getting to know him? So that when people see you, 
They can say, oh, yeah, that person has been with Jesus. And I can see that. Because they act like him and they have his love and they have his eyes. They know who he is. And I can see the difference it makes in their life. They've been with Jesus. I would love for Christian, the title Christian, to be this wonderful thing that when the world hears, oh, she's a Christian, it's something special. And you know that person's going to be trustworthy and you know that person's going to be kind and loving and generous and have a heart for people and a heart for helping them. That's what it means to be a Christian. But in order for that to happen, it takes all of us. All of us who call ourselves Christians, acting like Christians, and acting like followers of Christ. And not just on the surface, because we can do all the right things, but in our hearts we're still not following. And we're still not listening. And we're still not spending that time being with Jesus. You know, there are verses in the New Testament that come on later. In Romans and Ephesians, where it's telling us that we're children of God. Don't you know that you're children of God? You've already been chosen, and by faith, you know, you're heirs to everything that God has in store for you. So act like it. Act like you're heirs. Live that love and follow Jesus, because if you follow Jesus, you live the love that he had. And we can change the world. We can change what it means to be a Christian, and we can fill this world with love, but it takes all of us spreading that to the people around us, one by one. So let me ask you a question for those of you who are still awake. Who here can change the world? I should see my hands. I really should. (laughs) And who here considers themselves extraordinary? The potential to be extraordinary when God uses you. We're all extraordinary. We've all been chosen by God. And we're all here in this house seeking him. We all get to be extraordinary. So, um, in closing, you know, when I was growing up, I grew up as Pastor Ruben's daughter. My dad's here in the front row. That's what I heard all the time, and it used to upset me so much. Because, like, people didn't even know my name. They just knew I was Pastor Ruben's daughter. Right, everywhere I went, oh, you're Pastor Ruben's daughter. Yes, I'm Pastor Ruben's daughter, but my name's Amanda. Can't you just know me for me? It used to annoy me for years and years, even into college, because everywhere I went, doesn't matter where, how far, I could be on the other side of the world, and I was still Pastor Ruben's daughter. And um, eventually, you know, I started doing my singing group with praise, and I got to travel a lot, and slowly, you know, I became Amanda, and he was Amanda's father. And it, it kind of switched a bit. And it was really great. And I was really proud for this moment because, you know, I was my own person. And he's just, you know, he's Amanda's father. He's not the other way around anymore. You know, but then I came back to Orange County and I'm Pastor Ruben's daughter again. And, but I think of it differently now because people love my father. And people know my father. And when they say I'm Pastor Ruben's daughter, it's always with the smile that they can see him in me. You know, they hear him when I talk. And they, they see, oh my goodness, I'm going to start crying. They see my father in me. And it's like the best compliment I can get now. I'm so proud to be Pastor Ruben's daughter. But even more than that, 
I want people to see my heavenly father in me. And when they look in my eyes, and when they hear my words, and when I encounter them every day, that's what I want them to see. And not just me, and not that I'm Amanda's whoever, you know, but that I am a child of God, that I've been with Jesus. And that would be the most wonderful compliment I could ever get. And I hope that that would be the most wonderful compliment you could get. And that's a goal that we should have. And that when they look at you and when they look at me, they see our Father's eyes. I'm supposed to be singing now, but I don't see anyone in the sound booth. <laughs> um, I don't have anything else to say. <laughs> so I want to try this again. Who out here can be extraordinary? Thank you. Um, I guess I will sit down. So it does not look like I'm going to be singing. <laughs>